Uh, Happy New Year. I didn't see you. All right. All things are going to become new this year. And uh, uh, I'm going to start the new year from the beginning. I mean, literally the beginning. Genesis 1-1. I don't know if I've ever done specifically. I don't know. Maybe I have, but I don't know if I have. So I'm just going to do the very. How many want to do the very beginning? What the heck? All right. What the heck? You're like, I'm stuck here anyway for a half hour. I'll, I'll play along. All right. I like it. Uh, do you know it? In the beginning, everybody say it. In the beginning, God created. In the, all right, say it together. In the beginning, created. All right, in the beginning, God created. And then uh, the heavens and the earth. You know that one. Okay, so um, what I want to talk about today is uh, life being a gift. Life being a gift. Sometimes the most obvious things are the things that we need to say to ourselves. We were talking about this the other day. Somebody was saying to a friend of mine, oh, I don't need church to, you know, have a relationship with God. And, you know, my answer is always, of course you don't, necessarily. But what if church, our experience is like just a couple of good reminders. How many need good reminders in your life? Like I do, right? Uh, don't eat that. I need a good reminder. I need to be around the right people that remind me to eat better, or I need to be around the people that remind me to do better things. And so hopefully this isn't like, this is an earth-shaking knowledge that I'm going to give you, but maybe a great reminder that life, life is a gift. Now, um, we live in a scientific world, and we're going to talk a little bit about how some people don't see it as a gift. Some people see it as a, a, a chance, just a random scrambling, and, and um, I like to talk about that. Um, the other day, I was uh, watching, when I get bored, you know, I, I have a couple of go-to, like, pickers, American pickers, and then the other one's like, I'll watch uh, HGTV and watch them renovate a house. Or anybody, like, you know, kind of, you get bored the way I do? All right. So, anyway, the, the other day, there was this new show I'd never seen before, and it was a guy who was helping people who were who had just won the lottery, find a house. It's terrible. It turns out I hated it. It's terrible. It was so uninteresting to me because, I don't know, they were being pinchy with the money, and I'm like, come on, man, you know. Anyway, it wasn't that good of a show, in my opinion. However, they had a guy in there, and they were talking about he had just won like $4 million, and, and they, were, they were trying to make, you know how they do these shows, they try to make drama out of them so you're really interested in it, you know, and, and so they had to dramatize that he gave a $10, bought a $10 ticket, and they were like, and he didn't have it to give, almost like, you know, like, wow, really? And, uh, uh, and you know what I mean? Like trying to get your heart into it and everything. And, um, but the funny thing is when somebody wins the lottery and then they go buy a house, there's a certain way of thinking of it and a certain action or reaction that you would have. I won the lo- happy, right? Excited. So, it's they didn't have something, and then all of a sudden they have something. They didn't, and then all of a sudden they do. But what about if somebody is gifted a million dollars? A son makes it through to the NFL and determines he's going to give his mom the dream home she's always wanted. You know, the tears, the emotional connection, the gratitude, it's just a completely different thing. 
you and I really wake up every day with a fundamental attitude about life itself. Just think about this. You and I wake up every day with a fundamental attitude about life itself, and it's either it's a gift, it's a gift I should cherish, or we assume, we presume, and then we go into fighting about the stuff that we don't have. Here's what I also think. A lot of us are hybrids. In other words, we know if we're pushed in the corner and you say, is life a gift? And, you know, well, well yeah, God, you know, God gave it to me and this and that. But, but our actions sometimes reflect not that we really recognize it as a gift, right? But that we presume. Do any of you get frustrated when your kids presume too much? Huh? Like you give them a lot of stuff. And because you've given so much, they don't even recognize. They can't even compute the amount that you've given to them. They can't compute it, literally. And so they are always on for the next thing that you're going to give them. And you're always trying to teach them basic things like, could you please just recognize what we've already given you? Could you please be, what, grateful and thankful? And, and what we learn is we were the same way. Put your hand up. We were the same way. And it just took us a minute, didn't it? To pay a few bills and to work a few hard hours and to recognize, whoa, whoa, they did a, what? They did a lot for me. And maybe they could pay for college or maybe they couldn't. That's not the point. When you start to put it together, you start to be grateful that somebody gave you something. And what I would, from the beginning... If we started our life with a sense that life was a gift and every day that we live it would change literally the smallest things about us. You don't have to raise your hand now, but how many grumpy people do we have out there? You know who you are. Just grumpy. You know, and, and this bugs you, and that bugs you, and why? You know, and you're grumpy. You watch TV, and you're grumpy, and you're upset about this. And, and, and literally, this could, this could heal your grumpiness. If you could have the ability to take one step back and say, you know what? Today's a gift. Today's a gift. If you've, if you've ever come, overcome a big illness... You kind of get the, that's a reset button, isn't it? Anybody? Anybody ever lost a job or lost a huge deal and then, boom, reset button. And all of a sudden, life started to feel like a gift again, didn't it? It are these big events that cause us to refocus and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm getting off track here. I need to pull back and realize that life is a gift. Now, um, like I said, if... You come from a different field. You may be here or you have a friend or somebody, you know, drug you to church and you're like, yeah, Chris, you know, I don't, I don't do the fairy tales, but thanks for reading the scripture anyway. Um, here's what I'd like to say. If you believe life is a gift, so it's like the lights are going to start to flicker today. So we're going to realize that it's a gift when they're on, right? This is, they timed this, right? They're going to start going off because they're going to realize it's a gift when they're on. Everything that you have is a gift. And you say, Chris, but, but I'm not a science person, you know. 
or I, I'm, I, I'm not a faith person. I'm a science person. I get this with a lot of people. In other words, I don't believe in that stuff. I, believe, I have to see it. I have to, you know, I have to test it. I have to touch it. I'll just say a couple of things. First of all is that, you know, I told you this is going to work out just fine. In a minute, I'm going to read the scripture, let there be light. It's just all going to tie in. I, it's, the, it's the third verse. It's going to work out. All right. All right. Isn't it true? Huh? Hey, you, how, many, how many take your plumbing for granted until it doesn't work? Like, hey, hey, what, you know, we do. All right. It's our, it's our nature. Um, I was starting to say, you know, people will say, but, but I'm a science person. I don't, I don't, let me just, like, four seconds of science. All right. All right. Just for grins, for you science folks out there. Um, and, and I'm reading it because I, I think, you know, when I'm up here, people go, oh, that's the kid with the tennis shoes. And, all right, so I'm reading somebody else. All right. Um, science, all right, science may be approaching the realization that the entire universe is an expression of information. What? What science is realizing now is that our material world may not actually be material at all. If you're in science, you're like, yeah, duh. But if you're not, you're like, what? What you mean the stuff, this, is not stuff? Ready? This is just science. All right. The surprise of science is that discoveries starting in the early 1900s have moved ever closer to the implication that the world we see around us the stuff you see, the chair you're sitting on, right? This isn't philosophy class. This is science, ready? Um, the, wor- the, the objects we see around us that we take for granted as being solid, our bodies included, are expressions or manifestations of something as ethereal as energy. And that below the energy lies information a totally non-material basis for existence. Chris, why are you reading that? You're kind of boring me. Just hold on. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. If I, had a, if I had a piece of wood up here and a match, and I told you that this wood, I'm going to, like a magician, turn, I'm going to make this wood disappear. You'd say, how can you make it disappear? But then if I lit it on fire, and you'd watch it transform into what? Energy. It would just take a different shape. It's so hard for us to comprehend, but here's the thing. Just as hard as it's for people to comprehend God as a creator, science itself is putting the same exact force on your brain. You have to, at some point, accept it by faith. And the two, which people used to say they need to fight, they're, they're not, they don't need to fight, they just need to talk more. Think for a minute. Science has often gotten things wrong. And that's what science does. They just retest and then they change what they think. Religion has often gotten things wrong, right? Then they just re-examine and they re-look at the scriptures and they say, oh, we were looking at the scriptures wrong. If you're a scientist and you're at a particular field, let's say geology or something, you would pick up a rock and you start telling me things about this rock, right? 
because you studied it your whole life and you would look at it and say this and say that and tell me all these things about this rock because it's your field, it's what you do. People will tell me that, Chris, you read the Bible and you would say all these things that I never think of I, well, I, because that's all I do. That's my job. Well, I do a few other things, but that's pretty much what I do, right? I just, I, and, and so the same would be true. The, the problem is, and sometimes in science, we haven't looked long enough, hard enough, deep enough. Our instruments weren't good enough over the years. Same thing has been true with reading the Bible. We haven't looked hard enough, long enough, or deep enough. So people told me, well, they're trying to discredit the Bible. You know, it's a war. And Here's what I believe. I don't think there's a war. There doesn't need to be a war. The further we look at science and the further we look at Scripture, we're starting to realize that they're saying the same thing. I'm going to read to you from Hebrews chapter 11. It's going to sound like that science book I just read to you. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 through 3. It was this kind of faith that the saints of old gained their reputation. And it is, after all, only by faith that our minds accept as fact the whole scheme of time and space was created by God's command. We're going to get to that. He gives a command. And that the world, which this is the key line, the world which we see, which we can see, has come into being through principles which are invisible. The world that we see comes through principles which are invisible. In other words, this science and scripture are saying the same thing. We live in a material world that we can see, but underneath it all is a non-material existence. Go figure. Science and scripture were saying the same thing. Some of you would be saying, yes, but doesn't the Bible make you believe in seven literal days? We're going to get to the days in a minute here. Don't you have to believe in seven literal days? First of all, you don't have to read it literally. You can. People do. They love God. They do good in the world. They, you, know, you can. You don't, you don't have to. Um, there's debate. Christians see it both ways. I have my own view. But I, I was surprised as I did some digging this week that, th- that people, even before Darwin held the Bible in two different views. Oh, this is going to work out so well. And I'm going to read about darkness in a minute. This is going to work. All right. Were we able to kill it completely or no? Was that not? Okay. Um, so even before Darwin came along, this is important, Christians read the Bible and Genesis 1 in two different ways, literal and non-literal, before Darwin. I was blown away to learn if you, are, if you come from a um, very, very, what's the right word? Um, if it's conservative, I'm not sure if that's the right word. Um, but, but defensive Bible literalist kind of culture, this is so important. One of the staunchest defenders in American history for the Bible was a guy named B.B. Warfield. Huh? Warf- you got to love that for a defender, right? Benjamin Warfield. And when we, you know, in, in Bible school, you'd see his works all over the place. And he was highly, very highly revered. From Princeton, taught at Princeton, 
president of the theological department at Princeton, highly regarded, and go figure, I'm digging and digging and digging, and Warfield says, very conservative, very, like you would maybe fundamentalist, if that's the right word, says, of course evolution is a, is a great option. I'm re-quoting him. It turns out a lot of the conflict that we're having today is not over, am, am I a good Christian? But it's really over some false debate and ideologies that people have set in front of us. You don't have to read it literally. You can go to Tim's class on Wednesday. He can teach you about it. I'll, I'll leave it for Tim from there. Genesis, this, here's the most important thing that I want to say. Genesis chapter 1 is not trying to answer scientific questions. It's not a science or a history book. Ready? It's not a science or a history book. That's not what it's trying to do. Never intended to to help you understand. There's like 30 sentences. It's not, you don't push it for the details. So some Christians, they they get so worried, like I got to defend these 30 verses and I got to defend the day when there's not even, you know, how do you have a day when you don't even have all the components to have a day yet? None of it really makes sense. And if you're even honest intellectually, it doesn't really, it doesn't encourage literal reading at all. That's not the intent, but the intent was much different. To speak to us to speak to its original readers about life being a gift from God. The big picture. In the beginning, God. It was a gift. He created. He gave us something. What phrase do we have for people that don't recognize gift? Maybe you saw it, unfortunately, kind of vexing during the holidays where somebody got a gift. Maybe you took a child to a certain family function or whatever, and they got a gift, and they already had the gift, or they, or they didn't like the gift. Oh, parents, oh, aren't you just dying on the inside? Please behave. Anybody? Please, please behave. Please be gracious, right? Please say the right things. And they look at it, and they sneer. Anybody? Oh, I know. Your kids are perfect. I know. Uh, and, and you just, you what? And inside you just like, no, don't do that. Be what? Truth, truth. How many, you co- I, I can still see a little bit. How many you coach them up before you get to that party? Now you be grateful. How many? You are going to say thank you. Right? Anybody? You are coaching them up, man, because you're worried, right? And, and when people, why do you do that? Because when people aren't grateful, they, you're trying to teach them. It's, it's bigger than you. You're trying to teach them that this person has given something to you and you need to be a grateful human being. Is this the message in some form? When they're not that, we have a phrase. We call them a spoiled... And it's not for your kids, but it's the neighbor, it's those neighbor kids, you know, it's, the, it's the cousins or the... Right? But, and and it's, such a, it's such a frustrating experience for us, isn't it? Because you've been in that, you've been the other parents and over there and watching the other kid, ah, this is blah, blah. and they talk bad about the gift as soon as they get their paper off of it. And you're inside, anybody? You, you, your stomach's is not, you're frustrated. Like, how do you let your kid 
act that way, right? No? Yes, you say it to yourself. And you talk about it with your spouse on the way home. How do they let their kid? I get around. I know. Seeing life as a gift makes you gracious. There's a good word. Gracious. Can I say this? It makes you a little more respectful. You start to respect life, people, things, opportunities. It, can I be it makes you a little less rude. Who knew reading Genesis 1-1 would make you a less rude person? But maybe it would. In the beginning, there was nothing. And then God sort of stepped back and made room for us. And he gave us something. Genesis teaches us we have a lot to be thankful for. Don't we have a lot to be thankful for today? Aren't you glad that you're here and the lights aren't working? (laughs) And we can be thankful that a lot of the times they do work. And everything we have is a gift. Faith, can I say this? Faith is not some blind acceptance, like, I'm just going to stick my head in the sand and ignore science. It's not that at all. Faith is is this... this, this willingness to say, you know, it's a gift. It does a couple other things. It makes us think about this gift and how we should treat it. The people around us. Anybody, you've already buried a couple of Christmas presents? They've already gone to the graveyard? I buried a few of them first day. First day, right? Grandma's house. Open them up, smash them. And then, oh, why? You know, but we go through them. My parents would try to say, no, take care of it. Don't do this with it. What about caring for the, the creation? The other day I was at, I was at Walmart, and I, I am no, please, I am no pristine environmentalist. Trust me. I got a boat that burns way too much gas. I, okay, I, I'm not like product. I'm the guy or anything like that. So, But, you know, I, I have a few things that I, I mean, I try to do. I don't, try, I don't litter. I don't just go around and scatter things. So, you know, I, I try, and uh, I got a ways to go. But I try to use as few of those plastic bags as possible because for me it's just like, man, you know, they're just everywhere. So I'm at the store, and... Uh, and I, I'm, just, I'm just thinking, like, only use the plastic bag. For, I know I should use the recyclable bags, and I, I have a bunch. I just always forget to bring them with me. Don't shoot me, all right? But, but I go, when I go there, I take the plastic bag, and, and, and they're always not... They, they want to double bag everything. Well, let me double bag it. Let me double bag. And so I would, and I would tell the lady, no, I don't, need, I don't need two bags. In fact, I'll just carry this milk jug that's got a handle on it. Is anybody with me? It has a handle. They put two bags around it, and it has a handle. Is anybody with me? I'm like, I'll just take this. 
Right? And I'm like, I don't, okay, what, what, too bad is wrong? And, and, and I'm just watching, like, I don't know, land. Uh, and I'm like, I, I'll just take it. I take it out. And she takes the two bags and wads them up and throws them. I'm like, ah. All right. Now, I got a long ways to go. And I'm not trying to cast blame. and shit, But I'm just saying, when you start to wake up to some of these things, you do start to think, man, we should take care of this. You know, we should do what we can. I know it can get deep into the weeds and I'm not trying to get... I'm just saying, when you can do better, do better. When you, when you can take more care of our planet, then do it. Find ways. Look for opportunities. People laugh at me. I got this from my grandma, but I got those little plastic baggies, you know, sandwich baggies, you know. I mean, you put a sandwich in there, it's got a couple crumbs, you just, you, just, you put it back in the drawer. And you're like, you're disgusting. I didn't say when it's full of mustard, and I just said it's got some crumbs, I just dumped the crumbs out. And I, and I, do, it for, I do it for two reasons, you know the other reason. <laughs> Cheapo, right? So the other day, open one of my drawers, and I have this folded up, all folded up tin foil. And they're like, what is this? I'm like, it's a second go around. You just fold it back up and use it. Like, you're weird. I'm like, I, I, I can't not do it. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not, I am not. I'm not a pristine environment. But you know what? It does start to make you like great. You start to go, wait a minute. Let's just not burn through things. Let's just not, Anybody? Let's be grateful. It does something. There's like a little sacredness to it. There's like, you know what? Our world is a gift. You know what one of the big problems is? That like we weren't there for the tearing off of the paper. When God said, there you go. And so what we do is we just, I mean, just think about it. It's free. You can walk outside and, and see the sunset. That's free of charge top of a mountain you may have to pay to get there or hike a lot but free of charge go to lake michigan and watch sunset it, this is all gift and i think what happens is we start to all right l- let me go back to the scripture in the beginning you guys know this one god created the heavens and the what earth. Now, if you go back to like a, a, let's say like there's a version I found of 1899 Dewey somebody version. There's so many versions of the Bible, but it says this, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. When I say heaven and earth, what do you think of? What do you think of? You may think of angels, streets of gold, clouds, pearly gates, heaven and earth. Mm, mm Mm-mm. So much to talk about here. Showing a clear bias that the early story, that they're, they're trying to lead you into the story, that this is a story. You open this huge book, right? The Bible. In the beginning, God created heaven, right? Streets of gold, blah, 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 all the pictures, and earth. So you got the two realms. Terrible translation. Horrific translation. But it sets you up with the idea that this story is about heaven and like earth and like getting from earth to heaven. And you say, well, yeah, okay, you got me. But here's the thing. That poor translation and that thinking has led 
us to where modern Christianity is today, which most people think about the main thing about following Christ is going to heaven. That's why you go to church. You just got to do enough to get to heaven. Get out. Get out. Right? Get enough so you can get there and get out. Give as little as you can. Find the minimum requirements. Oh, I get out. I know what goes on. And, and, and if, if this is a difference, then wait a minute. This is, not, this is not a story about how to get to heaven. I mean, don't worry. He, we got that covered. We got that covered. We'll get to that. But is that the main story from the opening line? Or is it about how to live on the earth? I'm going to argue it's the second one. I'm going to tell you that Christ is going to take care. He's going to get you to heaven. I think heaven's way different than you were. Hallmark told you, but we'll get to that another day. But let me just say this. I think the story is about how to live on the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens. I'm going to put a new word in there. You can write this in your Bible. I know it's like, I can't do it. It came from heaven. All right, but everybody translates it. You don't understand the Hebrew word anyway. 98% of you, right? The sky. In the beginning, God created the... Oh, some of you can't say it. You're like, you're... You know the Bible was written in English and God said heavens. <laughs> I, I know. In the beginning, God created the... Sky. sky. And the... Can I pick on Land. Sky and the land. In the beginning, God created the sky and the land. Land. Now, the, the word can be uh, translated earth. Can be. Um, it's the same word that you'll see the common... If, you're, if, you, if you go to Israel, it's the name of their national recognized newspaper. It just means... It means the land. The land. And it has a double meaning. They're like the land, like the physical land, and the land of what? Israel. Oh, you want to learn something for two minutes? No, that's too dark. All right. Look, look, look. This whole story is a setup. It was written to somebody for some reason. This whole story was... It wasn't first written to you and I. It was written to somebody somewhere. And what was it written for? It was written about the land. If you read the Pentateuch, it's all about the promise land. It's about the land. It's about the land. So this is a setup. Stay with me. This is a setup about where the whole story is going. If you ever read the whole thing, as I've said before, people try to read the Bible a little bite-sized, like, just give me a little tidbit for today. so I can. And that's fine. There's tidbits in there. Little nuggets you can yank out and stick on your fridge. Huh? That's good. Put on your mirror. But it's also a story. It goes somewhere. This is one of five books that's all self-contained. The first five books of the Bible, and it's about the land. So immediately, in the beginning, God created the sky and the land. And what's the next word? What's the next thing? The land. It goes right back to the land. He's wanting you to immediately focus on God made it all. It's all a gift. And... God made the sky and the land, and the land was formless and void. Have you read this part? 
You guys should read the Bible one time in your life. Give it a crack. Just Genesis. Just the first three verses. And the land was, better translation, barren. Uninhabitable. It's a reflection of their traveling through the wilderness. If you've read that part of the Bible. Moses, they go through the wilderness. They're getting ready for the promised land. And it's before the promise. It's the barrenness. What's the message? What's the message, Chris? Get to it. It's dark in here. Here's the message. Ready? He's saying there, all of what they're worried about, this was written to people who had been kicked out of their land. Genesis was written to people who had been kicked out of the promised land. All they were yearning for was the land. They wanted their land back. It was written to people who had been removed from their promised land and they wanted it back. We call it the exile, if you've read that part of the Bible. They want back in their land. What if, you, what if someone kicked you out of your house and you're just wandering around looking? Anybody? So bad that it's going to be back. It's going to be back in the land. This is what he's saying. The land mattered to them. Here's the message today. Orchard Grove. Something matters to you. The land is the thing that matters to you. That's your job. That's your family. That's your future. The land is the thing that matters. And the Bible starts off and it says it's uninhabitable. It's no good. It's of no use. But the Spirit of God's hovering, next, next part of the, over. The Spirit of God's hovering. And then God speaks. Where are some of us at the beginning of 2018? You've got barrenness in the land. It's the job. It's the future. It's a thing that you don't know about. It's barren. And you're like, God, how are you going to fix this? Here's, here's the first message. God's hovering. This is good. Like a bird, like a mother hen just, just above you. Just over you, covering you. And then God speaks. And it starts to become habitable. What God does is he changes what's in our life that's dry and barren and useless. And he makes it something amazing. This is a story in its first form about the land. And how God made something that was useless, useful. If you close your eyes, you can think in your own life, you know, there's something that's just not there yet. And I think the message is that the Spirit of God's hovering. He's involved. He's there. And God speaks and he brings things. He brings things about beautiful out of what is broken. God brings life and fruit out of what is barren and dark. God brings, like, happiness. Do you remember how the creation story goes on? That he, God speaks and, and then they divide. Do you remember the dividing of the waters? Does anybody remember this? If you've read Genesis before, oh, we don't have enough time. Divides the water from here to here. Wait a minute. Have you ever heard of the water dividing before in the Bible story? Did Moses do that? What is he saying? It's all, it's all, 
This was a literary masterpiece. It's a foreshadowing of the land. God's going to part the water, right? God's going to open the way. God's going to provide. What he's trying to say is that God's going to open, just like the water pulled apart and then the land appeared. The same thing happened for Moses, the water. And whatever you're dealing with, you're like, I, I, I need, God's going to pull it apart like this. I don't know how. Nobody knows how God does. How he's going to work out your situation. We don't know how. We just know that he does. Let me close with this. I, uh, I hope Genesis 1-1 huh, will not only make us all a lot less grumpy, make us a lot more grateful, but think about this. Everything that's good, he says it's all good. It's good. It's good. Remember the creation. It's good. He saw it and it's good. Good things start with God. Good things start with God. He makes good things. But have any of you ever had a, you wrote your own Bible? In the beginning, Chris created. And it's usually disaster, disaster. Anybody? In other words, has anybody tried to insert yourself into God's role? You're lying. Put it up. You know, in the beginning, my, my gospel is, in the beginning, Chris, and I got this idea, and I'm going to do this. And has anybody tried to jam your thing through too much? And it wasn't good. It was, eh. It was struggle. It was... We need to get God at the beginning of our things. Right? I think a lot of times what we do is it's in the beginning, Chris, and I make all this stuff, and then I'm trying to get God on board. Get on. Let's go. Anybody trying to get God on board with your project? Huh? Some of you are in sales. You know how to do it. Like, you've got a good sales pitch. We call it prayer, but it's a sales pitch. Right? And you're trying to get him on board with the project. But it's not in the beginning me. It's in the beginning God. So the question is, is God behind this? Is God initiating this? Not can I get him on board with what I've already done?